This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here in the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. Uh, I wanted to do a little follow-up on the jury duty talk that I gave last week, which I did get some feedback on that show saying that uh, that um, it was enjoyed by at least one person. <laughs> uh, uh, it's one. Yeah, I've heard from somebody said that they, they loved the jury duty show, so that was cool. Uh, anyway, uh, I wanted to follow up because. Um, uh, this being my first week back to work and trying to mop up all the mess left behind by the boss and the supervisor who apparently don't know how to do things when I'm away uh, I had to figure some stuff out anyway it just you know little things nothing terrible but still uh, I got uh, I was contacted by the attorney for the defendant in the case that uh, uh, for which I was just a, a juror and he wanted to chat for a few minutes, so we did. And he asked me some questions about uh, how I came to my verdict and what swayed me and how he thought uh, the, that his defense presentation was, how that went, what I thought of the uh, expert witnesses and those kinds of things. And I, I gave him my opinions, and I did tell him that uh, I started out being pretty much on the defendant's side, but uh, as the arguments in the or the points being made in the, in the jury room progressed, I started to move more toward the plaintiff until I saw that one paragraph that could be read two different ways, you know, by, by, you know, one, by one way from the one brother, looked at it, could see what he needed in that document, and the other brother could see what he needed in it, and think that they understood it, and signed off, and it turns out that that's not exactly what it was, uh, because the language wasn't very clear. Uh, there was the word outstanding in that paragraph used twice and each time it was just a little bit different in its meaning it wasn't as nailed down as it should have been and that's what tipped me over to the plaintiff's side that yes this was negligence and you know and I talked all about that last week and I told that to the uh, to the uh, the attorney uh, I mentioned the paragraph that it was and he he brought up the, the one that had the word outstanding in it used twice and I said yep that's the one and he understood, and uh, he asked me what I thought of the judge, and I asked him about that moment, I think I mentioned it last week, that moment when the uh, plaintiff's attorney said something that upset the judge. I said, uh, I asked the uh, folks in the jury room if they read that situation the same way I did, that the judge was not happy with that, that attorney and probably had a talking to, uh, you know, or had talked to that fellow as uh, soon as the jury was out of the out of the way and uh, the attorney that I talked to confirmed that yes uh, the plaintiff's attorney did get quite the talking to by the judge at that point and I it's okay we saw it um, I told the attorney that I thought his defendant when under cross-examination I said to I said to him I said I kept thinking to myself you know just answer yes or no um, he kept wanting to say what he wanted to say. You know, it was a yes or no question being asked by the opposing attorney. He, the opposing attorney was asking for a yes or no answer, and the the defendant just kept wanting to say what he wanted to say. And I just thought, just say yes or no. Just answer it that way. Um, you know, your attorney will get to redirect and bring out any you know clarification that needs to be done. 
because of what the the opposing attorney had brought up, and and that's what uh, the fellow that I talked with he brought that up. He said, "Yes, I would have I would have dealt with that." He was not too happy that uh, the defendant didn't just answer yes or no. Uh, so there was it was nice. It was nice to talk to him about it and uh, get his feedback on something. Uh, I asked him because he asked if I had any questions, and I said, well, I do have a question. I said, uh, when I, during the voir dire, when I let it be known that I was a skeptic, uh, you know, I said, you know, we skeptics tend to think that that attorneys don't want us on juries because we're skeptical. And he said, oh, no, I wanted you on that jury because you were a skeptic. I wanted you to look skeptically at the testimony given by the plaintiff. And, you know, and the only thing is, I, I did look skeptically at the at the, at the testimony given by the plaintiff, but I also look skeptically at the testimony given by the defendant and by the expert witnesses. I, you know, I applied my skepticism to everybody, although they they all seemed more or less credible. Uh, I didn't exactly believe everything, or at least, you know, the defend, you know, both the plaintiff and the defendant will try to paint themselves in the best uh, picture possible. You know, they're going to do that. So I knew that, and so I didn't exactly buy everything they were trying to sell. You know, it's not that they were lying, it's just that I, I knew that they were soft-selling some things and trying to you know, make themselves look better. Um, I, I knew that was happening. So, uh, you know, and I think that's, that's pretty common sense for anybody in a court situation. Any juror looking on would, would I think, figure that out. But uh, I, he wanted a skeptic on the case. He, he wanted me there. So that was, uh, I found that interesting. Uh, then I also let him know, and I, I, I do this on occasion. I, you know, I could just keep my mouth shut about these things. But, you know, sometimes I like to have people know that I'm an artist and see something I've done and have them say, hey, that's pretty cool. I, I like that. <laughs> I'll admit it. I mean, I don't get that much praise for my art stuff because I don't break it out all the time. But I have been putting more stuff up on Facebook. In fact, today I just put up the uh, the drawing I did for the month of March. You know, where I'm doing a do-it-yourself ca- calendar here at home. We didn't get one for this year, so it, it hit me. I said, well, why don't I just... I can go online and print out the, the grid portion of each month's catalog, uh, calendar, and I can just draw something. And so that's what I was doing. So this month I drew a, a pair of hands... Um, uh, resting on a, uh, on a on a on the handle of a cane, uh, and the hands are are older looking hands, but the hands are mine. I had Amy take a picture of my hands, and uh, um, I just aged them up a bit for the drawing. And anyway, so that's you know I've been doing that. I've shared that on Facebook for people to take a look. But uh, I did mention to the attorney. I says, um, you know, I don't know why I didn't bring this up in voir dire when the judge asked what hobbies I have. I mean, I'm an artist, and uh, I actually did some drawings of the people involved in the case. And I assured him that I did not do the drawings while the testimony and all the stuff was taking place while I was sitting in the jury box. I said, nope. I would look at a face and I try to get it as memorized as possible. And then when we had a break. I do a little bit of the drawing, and then I get back in there, and I look at the face, and I think, okay, what did I get wrong? What can I improve? And then when I got back out, you know, so I did these drawings a little at a time. Uh, I showed them to my fellow jurors, and uh, and and the attorney said, oh, would you be able to, you know, send you know copies of those to me? I'd love to see them. So I said, uh, uh, sure. So I scanned them in, sent them over to him. And uh, he responded, he sent an email response that's, that said this, quote, Outstanding job. Outstanding. And the outstandings were written in all caps. And I sent back a note saying thanks. And I, I mentioned it to my wife, Amy, who's uh, sometimes a lot smarter than me and much quicker on the upkeep, uh, uptake than I am. And she said, um, what did he mean by outstanding? <laughs> Remember, because in the case, in that paragraph, there were two uses of the word outstanding, and he used the word outstanding twice in there. I wonder if that's what he was doing, if he was playing around a little bit. I, I wonder if that's what was happening. Um, I don't know, but I thought that was awfully funny that uh, that Amy noticed that, and I didn't. Anyway, uh, it was a missed opportunity, so I couldn't uh, get back to him and say, Hey, did you mean uh, outstanding? Like, you know, did, w- huh? Were you messing with me? Well, um, 
I'm now going to do this. Uh, uh, this this show will actually be a little heavy on skepticism talk. Speaking of skepticism, I you know the show Dimland Radio is it does have uh, skepticism as one of its uh, one of its topics, and uh, sometimes I don't uh, get as deep into it as uh, as other times, and uh, you know because I'll talk about entertainment kind of stuff and some politics stuff and yeah, you know. Um, but there's a, and I do this thing called the Dimland Radio Science Hero. So I have some science heroes to talk about tonight. And actually, I got four of them. Four Dimland Radio Science Heroes, two of which have been Dimland Radio Science Heroes already. And they are, I'm naming them heroes again. Uh, I'm going to start with, uh, uh, let's see, Susan Gerbic and Mark Edward and their team of uh, uh, supporters, if you will. Uh, Susan Gerbic has been a Dimland Radio Science Hero before. She uh, has an organization called uh, Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia. She came up with this thing, uh, uh, this group, where she trains people how to be editors on Wikipedia, how to follow the rules of Wikipedia, to edit pages properly, and to do citations, and to rewrite articles, and things like that, to keep the Wikipedia site as scientifically sound and skeptically sound as possible. So the more pseudo-scientific entries in there, these the, the guerrilla skepticism folks will go in and make a good presentation in there of what the science has to say about a particular pseudoscience and stuff like that. And they'll they'll do other things, not just not just uh, um, pseudoscience type stuff, but they'll They'll edit pages on there, and uh, she teaches people how to do that. And she's got, I don't know how many she's got working for her, or helping her. I don't think, they don't get paid or anything. It's just a volunteer thing where people in their spare time go in and do make edits to pages on Wikipedia. Now, she was named a Dimland Radio uh, Science Hero uh, the first time because of what she did during the, the last Summer Olympics, I think it was. Uh, I think it was the last one, where uh, Michael Phelps was seen with all those uh, hickeys on his back, those those oval-shaped bruises on his back, which was from the cupping thing, this cupping f- nonsense. Um, you know, athletes will fall for things like that. They, 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 they're human like anybody else, and they want to, you know, they think they're going to get an edge in their, their athletic performance if they do certain rituals or tasks or if they use a product or something like that and put a rubber band around their wrist or put this this uh, this this uh, um, special tape on their shoulders and hips and backs and all that it, it the tape is just put in any old pattern it doesn't really do anything to hold down the muscles or keep joints in place or anything like that it's just uh, putting this tape on and it's supposed to help them improve their their athletic performance which it doesn't do anything it's just some some bullshit somebody came up with and this cupping thing is uh you know is said to help cleanse blood or whatever it's supposed to do but actually all it does is make bruises that's all it does it doesn't do anything for you and if you do the cupping in the same spot enough times it, it, those bruises become open sores, which can become infected and can cause real problems. Yeah. So anyway, so Susan saw that. She saw the cupping thing. She found out there was this cup and stuff going on, and she thought, I wonder what Wikipedia's page on cupping has to say. So she went and checked it out. She saw it was just full of pseudoscientific nonsense, and she updated the page. She went and found the science, and she found the sources, she put the links to the citations and all that kind of stuff. She she updated the page, and she can check and see how many times a page gets gets a, uh, hits throughout a year or a month or stuff like that. She can check the stats, and the page was getting barely anything for a long time, but then uh, this Olympics takes place, and boom! The cupping page gets 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 inundated with people checking out to find out what cupping's all about and her timing was perfect she got in there and made the edits before all the views came to it and when the views finally came to it they were getting a good dose of the skeptical and scientific look at, at cupping so she became a dimland radio science hero for that now she's getting it the second time with uh, Mark Edward, who is uh, a friend of hers. Uh, they are uh, partners in crime, if you will, and they have a support group that help them out. And what they do is they will they create these sting operations to try to 
expose so-called psychics. And they'll go after the higher profile psychics. Um, and uh, they've done other things where they, they catch the psych psychics in, doing cold reading. But what they really want to do is catch a psychic doing hot reading. Now let me explain cold and hot reading to you guys. Um, I, I, most skeptics know about this kind of stuff, but uh, a cold reading is really just doing a lot of guessing. Uh, the the so-called psychic will sit down with somebody that they don't know anything about, but they will start throwing questions and statements that are that might sound specific, but they're still pretty general. And they'll you know judging by the answers they get from the person they're reading, uh, judging by their body language and their their reactions and such, uh, the inflection in the voice, they can tell if they're going in the right direction and they'll follow a, a vein until it dries up or until they hit pay dirt, you know, that kind of thing. They'll throw out things, like, and they'll do it with groups of people. They'll say, I'm getting, they'll look at a group of 20 people and they'll say, I'm getting a, an older man with an, an M name, an M or a J name. Uh, some, well, somebody in that group's going to know an older man with an M or a J name. It's, that's, that's hardly anything impressive, but people want to believe, and they'll start to feed this information to the psychic uh, or the cold reader. And it will seem as though the cold reader is pulling it out of air when they're not. They're just getting it from the person they're reading. And and that, and then cold reading is, is just doing that. It's, a, it's just asking all kinds of questions, making statements, and, and narrowing down on something until that something stops uh, paying off. And then they'll, they'll move into another uh, series of questions and such. And the good cold readers will make those questions go real fast. And mentalists do this. Uh, and Mark Edward was a, was a magician, or is a magician, and a mentalist. And I think he's also worked as a you know, phone line psychic guy until he realized he was doing not the Lord's work, uh, so to speak. And so, and so, so the two of them have been doing these stings, and they came up with this one called Operation Pizza Roll. And they were the the intent was to see if they could catch uh, a so-called psychic doing a hot reading. Now, a hot reading is where the the alleged psychic actually knows something about the person they're reading. They've uh, they've looked up the person. They've Googled the person. Uh, they've looked up their social media, their Twitter, their Facebook, and or and such, and they've looked for information through there. Or if not themselves specifically, somebody that works for them has done that kind of work. Or sometimes it'll be uh, as the people are gr gathering for a group reading. I think that they'll have somebody that's working for the psychic in the crowd listening in on what people are ho who they're hoping to uh, um, contact and what information they're hoping to get so they they get that information there or they might even hand out cards and have quite you know little questionnaire cards that people will fill out with names of people they're trying to meet you know trying to contact and that kind of stuff they'll find that information and they, it's they get specific information about people and that is called hot reading and then they'll bring it out in the in the reading and to the audience it looks like it's something astounding and to the person being read they want to believe it may seem astounding to them as well even though they just wrote, filled out a card <laughs> and it's, it, they don't even think about that and so a sting was uh, was designed to catch uh, to see if uh, uh, a psychic named Thomas John would engage in hot reading. And I'll tell you whether or not they caught him engaged in hot reading when I come back from this break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the Ztalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I'll be back with more about Operation Pizza. Roll. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. You don't say. 
what, you think you went off to college or something? On ztalkradio.com. That's the most amazing thing since Grandma survived the outhouse incident. More listening to Z Talk Radio's Redheaded Stepchild. It's Dr. Dim on Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. Those other guys. The finger. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. And welcome back to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I was talking about Operation Pizza Roll and uh, uh, and some more Dimland Radio Science heroes. And Susan Gerbic is now a multiple uh, science hero for the show. And Mark Edward is getting his first, uh, I think he is, getting his first Dimland Radio Science hero status. Uh, for the work that they did together with their team uh, to put on a sting of a uh, psychic named uh, Thomas John. Now, Thomas John is getting to be known. Uh, he's got some cable show where he his gimmick is he's the, uh, the seatbelt psychic. He drives people around and he gives them readings. That's okay. <laughs> um, they, okay, this is, this is what they... Uh, what Susan and uh, Mark and their team did. They decided to try, to really try and see if they could get somebody doing a hot reading. And the way they did it was uh, Susan and Mark's team set up fake Facebook pages for two characters to be played by Susan and Mark. They were to play a married couple. They're not married, but they were to play a married couple. And they gave them names, and they set up uh, Facebook pages for the two of them, uh, in which somebody would would pretend to be those two, to be them, and would post to the page, and then other people in the group would would uh, uh, would have comments and post stuff on their pages and ask them questions and stuff, just talk about things that they're interested in, and they would bring up in there somewhere along the line that. That Susan and her and her husband, I'm, I can't remember what the names they went by, like Susanna, I think, was the name of her character. I can't remember what Mark's character's name was. But, you know, Susanna and her husband were going to go see this Thomas John, and they were hoping to contact, you know, get in contact with Susanna's brother, who was her twin brother, who had died uh, of pancreatic cancer a couple of years ago. And Mark's character was hoping to get in contact with his his father, who died at a young age from heart disease, and that that uh, that his character was worried that he's getting about the age that his father was when the heart disease became a problem, and he's hoping that it's not going to be a problem for him. Okay. Now the things I just told you there, that is all that Susan and Mark knew about their characters. They knew they were married. They knew Susan was a, a p- part of a pair of twins and that her twin brother had died of pancreatic cancer and that Mark knew that his father was a, was a tough, uh, they didn't have a great relationship, uh, but he, and he died young of heart disease. Those are the things that they knew about the characters. They knew nothing else about it. They, I think they were locked out of even checking on the Facebook page to see what was going on. So they had no idea. And the reason why they did that was to blind them to that information, yes, but also because a lot of times skeptics, or not skeptics, psychics, will fall back on the idea that, 
Well, they had their fake story in their mind, and that's what I was reading. So Susan and Mark had no idea what the stories were that were showing up on their Facebook page. They didn't know that somebody had uh, uh, come up with the idea that one of them had had a dog named Buddy, and 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 there's other things. There was stuff about uh, one of them quitting smoking, and and you know it's it's just stuff like that. Now I will link to um, uh, a video about this and an article that was in uh, uh, the uh, skeptical page of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, Inquiry CSI, I think that's what it is. I'll link to those on the show notes page. You can go to dimland.com and click on the blog option and you'll find the show notes and you'll be able to check out this stuff. Um, and so uh, they went in to this event. It, it cost them $160 each to get the VIP tickets. That meant that they would be closer to the front of the stage, and chances were pretty good that uh, he would do a reading of them. And they, not knowing all the story that was about them, they had to just, they had to play along with whatever he said. They just had to play along, and they had to act like oh, Susan was uh, uh, yeah, uh, Susan was acting all emotional, like she was crying, and and Mark was being the loving husband, trying to comfort her, and all that kind of stuff. And the the, the you know, they had a transcript of uh, of the of the event. Uh, they were people that were there were encouraged to videotape it and to share the videotapes. That's uh, you know, the guy can get a reputation, and. Uh, Mark had told how it was clear that some of the people that were in that uh, audience in the VIP section were plants, people that were working with the psychic. He said it was clear to him that uh, that uh, um, at least one of them was. Uh, and so they went through the whole thing, and the psychic went to them and started reading them. Uh, he did this thing like somebody has a twin brother who died and and or something like that and that you know Susan raised her hands I think that's me and and so he just started and they went along with it they played along and he was pulling out stuff that he could that he that he could have gotten from the Facebook page all this stuff and they didn't know it they had to go back later and look with their team to say okay what where did he get it and so they're pretty sure that they caught him doing what's called a hot reading. Uh, and they did a write-up of this, and it and, and they um, they were also uh, featured in the New York Times magazine, doing this little sting here, which is a big, which is kind of a big deal. And so kudos to those two and their team for catching this guy. Now, uh, you know Thomas John just said, oh, "I don't check Facebook. I don't do that." Well, maybe. He doesn't do that, but maybe his people do, and they pass that information along to him. I don't know. It's just maybe he was lucky in hitting on all those things that just happened to be available on the Facebook pages, but you know, but having not ever looked at them, maybe he just was able to do it. Maybe he really is psychic, but hmm, who's he reading? He's not reading them because they didn't know the backstory. So good for them. They are Dimland Radio Science heroes. Uh, I have another Dimland Radio Science hero. This fellow has been one before. In fact, he's practically a perennial. Uh, that's John Oliver. He's the host of HBO's Last Week Tonight. Uh, it's a. I th I I don't have K HBO. I don't have cable. But you can watch these things on YouTube. They'll they'll post them. The actual show will post them. So it's not like you're cheating. They actually post the stuff because they want the stuff to get out there to go viral to people to check it out and see it. And he just did a recent, about a 20 minute or so, expose on psychics, on so, you know TV psychics and all that. And he's he he looks at some of the, uh, some of the the usual suspects, uh, uh, John Edward, James von Prague. Uh, this this kid who is he the Hollywood psychic or whatever I can't I, what is his name I don't remember his name uh, uh, Teresa Caputo the Long Island medium uh, and um, and and the late but not great Sylvia Brown he you know he digs into all of them and he explains to his audience and he has a big audience and. Uh, and and again, because it's on YouTube, they want it to go viral. They want people to check it out. That that gets an even bigger reach. Uh, he explains cold reading and hot reading, and he gives examples of it. And he just takes them apart, and he does such a wonderful job at it of taking apart this this kind of stuff that's going on. Uh, I suppose we can't know for sure that these people are are faking it. 
but it certainly looks like cold reading. I mean, there are. It is possible that someone believes themselves to be psychic, that they really do believe it. They really do believe that they're somehow connecting to spirit world or whatever. However, whatever they say. I know a couple people. I know one for sure that uh, uh, um, that is affiliated with this station that believes himself to be psychic, and yeah, I and I think and I know a couple other people. That have that that same thing. They think they're either intuitive or whatever. I have a friend who used to read tarot cards, probably still does, and they think they have this. I believe they believe it. I just don't think that's what's happening. I think what they're doing, whether they realize it or not, is cold reading. That's what they're doing. I've I've uh, heard about a woman who was raised by her mother and her grandmother, who both believed themselves to be psychics. Uh, raised this this woman as a, from a child on up uh, to believe that she was psychic as, as well, and they taught her the techniques of, of psychic readings. And the woman grew up, and when she learned about cold reading, she was actually honest with herself and looked at it and said, "Well, wait a minute, that's what I'm doing." <laughs> and when she just thought she she believed she was getting messages from somewhere else, but she did she just looked at it honestly and stepped back and said, "Oh, wait a minute, that's what I'm doing." And so she stopped, she stopped being a psychic. I wish I could remember her name. I just remember reading about it many years ago uh, that she was a, a reformed uh, psychic and, and all that. But uh, John Oliver did have uh, a woman post on YouTube. And i got to thank my friend uh, Craig for this. He was the one that spotted uh, the video with, uh, uh, with a psychic. Uh, he's part of the Minnesota Skeptics. He's one of the elders of the Minnesota Skeptics. And uh, he posted to their page a response video to John Oliver's piece. And the woman, really, the woman who did it, I think her name is um, Nicole uh, Guillaume, I think is her last name, Guillaume. And I, I, but the way she said it in such a way that I couldn't really catch it, but her first name's Nicole. And I'll see, I'll find that video and I'll link to it as well so you can watch it. Um, and she, she gives a response to uh, John Oliver's takedown. And she, to her credit, she says, I like John Oliver. I like the stuff he does on his show. I like that she, she says she likes that he speaks truth to power, that kind of thing. And not in so many words, but that, he, you know, that, that he's looking out for us. And she believes that he actually believes there's no such thing as psychics. And he's being honest about that. Uh, she thinks he's wrong. And uh, she says, you know, it, she says the, that they're they're either doing cold readings or hot readings. And she says, but he forgets a third option. A third option is that they actually are reading. They really are psychic. They are really are connecting with the spirit world in that. And I thought, you know, well maybe. And 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 I'm sure she really believes that that's what she's doing. She's talking about it's hard to explain. It's you, you just you, when you're when you get these messages from from the from spirit, and. And I'm sure she absolutely believes it. I really am. I'm sure she believes it. But the thing is, and I can't say about her specifically because I didn't see her do her thing. Um, I didn't see that. Uh, but the people that I've seen that do the psychic stuff uh, and that I believe they believe it, what they do, if it's not cold reading, it sure as hell looks like it. <laughs> it looks like it to me. Uh, I'm not an expert on things, and like I, I can't say it about her exactly because I haven't seen her do her thing. She knows about cold reading. She explains it to the people who are viewing that. She talks about it, and she says, I want to weed out the fake psychics out there, the fake ones, because they make us real ones look bad. And she might be the one. She might be the one real one. We haven't had one uh, be tested out as real. Uh, they, they just they just turn out to be doing cold reading. And like I said, it's completely possible that they do cold reading and don't even realize they're doing it, even if they know what cold reading is. Even if they understand exactly what it is, when they're doing their thing, they just, they're... they're their cognitive dissonance, their their rationalizations, their their hand waving explanations for things just blind themselves to the fact that that's what they're doing. They really feel like they're connecting to some great power somewhere out there, when actually they're just asking questions, throwing statements, and you know high probably probability guesses at, at a stranger, and the stranger is telling them whether they're right or wrong, and giving them even more information, and they think, wow, look at what I'm doing, and they don't even realize they're doing the cold reading. That is entirely possible. It's 
possible that they really are psychic? I suppose, but what seems more likely? What seems, you know, more true? And so she talks about uh, something that John Oliver brought up that, uh, you know, we, we don't, psychics don't uh, contact murder victims and have the murder victim tell them the name of the person who killed them. And and she had some hand-waving explanation of why this doesn't happen. Sometimes, you know, the messages don't quite come through that way. And sometimes you're getting more than one spirit contacting. And, and we just don't know. And we, we try. You know, okay, well, it's possible that you're not actually talking to anyone who's dead. And the people who are alive, you know, and the, the, the dead person that you're not really talking to doesn't give you the name of the murderer because... Well, you're not really talking to the dead person. You're talking to the living people, and the living people don't know the name of the murderer. <laughs> so, so I mean, again, what seems more likely? What seems more to make more sense? And something that John Oliver says when he starts his talk about psychics is, if you believe in psychics, he says, you know, he doesn't expect to talk them out of it. And he doesn't expect logic and reason to get them out of it. He says, you didn't start believing in psychics because of logic and reason. You're, uh, he says, words to that effect. You're not going to stop believing in them because of logic and reason. You know, something, something uh, a belief that somebody didn't reason themselves into can, uh, is a belief that somebody can't reason that person out of. Uh, I think I've said that poorly, but that's a sentiment that I've, I've heard James Randi mention and I've heard others uh bring that up so it's it, it, so anyway uh i you know, i'll link to both john oliver's takedown of uh, of psychics and to the young woman who believes herself to be a psychic and i believe her i take her at face value that she believes that she's actually psychic i just don't think she is again but i, I don't know for sure because i didn't see her do her act or her thing or whatever you want to call it i didn't so i can't really say about her because I haven't seen her do her thing, so I don't know. Um, but I think it's a, probably a pretty high probability, uh, uh, accurate guess that she probably does something that looks an awful lot like cold reading. So, uh, to John Oliver, another Dimland Radio Science hero. Once again, a Dimland Radio Science hero. He was hero before because of his uh, uh, his his uh, uh, talking about. The, the imbalance of coverage of uh, climate science, climate change, you know, the, the way that it makes it look like it's a 50-50 thing when it's not, you know, people that don't, that, that don't believe climate change is happening and that it's caused by humans as opposed to the climate scientists who believe that it is happening and that it is caused by humans. It's you know, the, the, you know, it's 97% to 3%. You know that's that's what the, the balance is more like he did something like he did that and he sent some anti-vax talk and, and such. Uh, I have so that's three that's three Dimland Radio Science heroes, but I have a fourth one to to bring up. But I'm going to have to get to that one after this break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host Jim Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I shall return with another. Dimland Radio Science Hero. News. 100% information. 100% guarantee. Thought you might say that. <laughs> You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. 
What could you make possible as an organ eye and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, y'all. This is Tangina. You're going to give me whiplash looking up there, too. I've cleaned many houses, and I don't know what it is that hovers over Dr. Dem's house, but it was strong enough to punch a hole into this world and take his wallet away from him. And I think what we might be dealing with is the beast. Hold on. Did you just say that Dr. Dem doesn't believe in poltergeists, tiny fortune tellers, or the beast? Well, holy sh**. Why the didn't somebody tell me? Anyway, Dr. Dem's a skeptic. He'll be right back on ztalkradio.com. I still think this house is clean. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. Come on over to our valley where boys run free. Run to the lush green meadows in your shorts. Brother John will be your guide in the summer of indescribable earthly delight. And welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. Oh, still so much more show. Just cram into this last section. Let's see what I can do. Okay, another Dimland Radio science hero, Lewis Black. This is the first time for him. He's a comedian. He gets uh, rather worked up. He does. He's famous for doing angry rants, and uh, he's a frequent contributor to the Daily Show, and has been for years. And I guess uh, fairly recently. He did a bit uh, on anti-vaxxers. He's an anti-anti-vaxxer, and uh, he, it was prompted by the fact that uh, uh, recently there have been several measles outbreaks going on across the country. About 26 states have had measles measles outbreaks, and there's been uh, 300 and some 350 or something cases, which isn't a lot. Admittedly, that's not a lot. I mean, you got a country of how many people? 380 people? 380 million, I should say. 380 million people? That's not a lot. But the number of measles outbreaks, people getting measles, should be zero. And we're damn close to getting there. But the anti-vaxxers have been effective in getting into scaring parents and guardians into not vaccinating their kids. Again, they think it causes autism. It doesn't. There's only one fraudulent study that was done in 1998. It was published in 1998 by Andrew Wakefield in The Lancet, which is a, a respectable medical journal, and that said that the MMR vaccine, that's the mumps, measles, rubella vaccine, that's, that's three indications in one vaccination, uh, was linked to autism, but it was a fraudulent study. He 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 he, he made up stuff in there. He he faked his evidence, and other scientists that were involved in it they took their names off of it once they found that out. He the paper was uh, was retracted or redacted. It was taken back by the Lancet. Was uh, was disavowed by them, uh, and Dr. Andrew Wakefield was uh, stricken from the uh, medical licensing in the UK. So he's no longer a doctor now. He just makes millions of dollars going around talking nonsense about anti-vax anyway um but that's the that's the only thing there's never been any connection to autism it's not there it's it's not there study after study after study has shown that there's no connection that there, there isn't the mercury that was said to be causing the problem isn't in the vast majority of the vaccines anymore and we haven't seen a drop in autism rates and it's just it, you know but it's it was enough to scare parents into not vac- uh, not vaccinating their kids. And Lewis Black does a wonderful, uh, funny bit about it. And I'll link to that so you can check it out. But speaking of, so he is a Dimland Radio Science hero as well. Now, um, speaking of the anti-vax thing, this is a story that is kind of cool, but no... You know, it's it's a good story, but it's it's not really. You know, it's it's a story that shouldn't have happened. Uh, there is a county in Washington State, Clark County, that uh, was um, 
It was kind of a hotbed for the anti-vax movement. I mean, there was a lot of anti-vaxxers living in that county. It was also recently a hotbed for a measles outbreak because the anti-vaxxers message took hold in that county and a lot of parents and guardians didn't vaccinate their kids. And a lot of kids got measles. And then a lot of parents said, holy shit, our kids are getting measles. And oh, did you know that people can die from measles? It's not just some minor thing. These kids can get really messed up. And they can they could actually die. I I think I'd rather not have my kid be dead. So the so last year, 2018, Clark Clark County, Washington saw a 500% increase in vaccinations. The vaccination rate went up 500%. Now, that's good, but it should it should have gone up 0% because they should have been getting everybody vaccinated, except for those people that can't. You know, there are people that are uh, that have uh, immune deficiencies, you know, uh, illnesses, or they're too young to be vaccinated, or for whatever reason, they're allergic, or there's some, you know, there are reasons why some people can't be vaccinated, and that's why we look to, to herd immunity or community immunity, where if the majority of people in a given area are vaccinated, that fact uh, protects those that can't get vaccinated. I know I say this a lot on the show, but it's true. So if you get about a 95% vaccination rate, I think that's what it is, um, if you get it to, to that height, then the people who aren't able to get vaccinated, they're protected by the fact that their friends and their neighbors are vaccinated. And they're protected from the disease, so they won't pick it up and they won't spread it around. And measles is one of those really, really infectious diseases. Uh, the, the, the measles virus can hang around for a couple hours after the person with measles has left the building or left the room. If somebody walks into a room, they've got measles, and they cough and, and spit and crap all over the place or whatever they do in the room, and then they leave. It, you can walk into that room two, you know, up to two hours later and still be exposed to the, to the virus. And it's, and it's very contagious as far as just, just as breathing in the air that somebody with measles has breathed out. So, yeah. So get vaccinated, for Christ's sake. <laughs> okay, and so that's, and that's it's something that needed, I guess, needed to happen. They needed a measles outbreak for people around to say, holy crap, we should be vaccinating our kids. Why? You know, it's the single greatest advancement in medical science, vaccination. Why are we eschewing this? Because some, because Jenny McCarthy thinks her kid got autism from it. Why are we doing this? Anyway, so that's, it's a good thing that people have gotten back to the vaccinations, but it, it shouldn't have been a story at all. It should never have been a problem. People should just, yeah, we get vaccinated. Yep, yes, we do. Uh, so, um, let's see, where am I at in the clock here? What have I got? What have I got to talk about? Okay, I got, uh, oh, 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 I know, I know, I know. Uh, I, I have to get to the signature segment of the Dimland Radio Show, don't I? time for another Dimland Radio pedantic moment. What did they get wrong this time, Dim? Well, you know, it's not so much what they got wrong. It's 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 not so much about the getting wrong. It's it's really who got it wrong. <laughs> and who got it wrong? Me. I did. See, I want to be the kind of host, the kind of skeptic that realizes when he got something wrong, he admits you got something wrong. I got. I, I've got this. I got this wrong. What did I get wrong? Well, here it is. Um, if you recall, a few weeks ago, there was a story that came out about some some fellow that was jogging. I think in California, in a fairly wild area, and he was attacked by a mountain lion, and he he managed to fight off the mountain lion, subdue, and he actually killed it. He's. I guess he stepped on its throat and choked it out, which is sad for the mountain lion, but. You know, the guy was protecting himself, and and you know, we can't really blame the mountain lion. It's just an animal doing what they do, 
right? And the guy was just trying to survive. And 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 so that was a big story. And I can remember you know, local radio guys talking about, yeah, what a great story to you know pick up the chicks. You know, you say, yeah, you know, I, I killed a mountain lion with my bare hands. Well, very early on in the story, they did say that the that the mountain lion that he killed was a juvenile, was not a fully grown mountain lion. A fully grown mountain lion probably would have presented an even greater challenge to this guy. Nevertheless, we still were thinking, oh, we're pretty impressed. Well, today I start seeing on Facebook, I saw these headlines about the story, that the mountain lion that the guy killed was a kitten, right? And I, I looked at that and I thought, well, I was seeing a lot of people being really dismissive about it now. Oh, sure, the guy kills a kitten. Uh, well, more on that in a moment. But I looked at that and I thought, and I even posted it on Facebook. I said, since when did the the babies of the big cats start being called kittens? Aren't they cubs? Lion cubs? Tiger cubs? Leopard cubs? Aren't they cubs? Since when have they been called kittens? So I, I was I, I was thinking this was some subtle way of putting it into headlines and articles, calling calling this this one this mountain lion that he killed uh, a kitten to make it look like oh you know the fluffy little kitten that you have at home a little fuzzball that couldn't hurt a fly you know that kind of thing i was thinking that and that was some of the reaction that people were having on facebook they were reacting that way like oh well big deal this guy killed a kitten big deal well here's the, the pedantic moment see I started to call it out saying why are they calling them kittens aren't they called cubs but then I thought well let's look it up let's find out why what they're called and I found out that that yes big cats lions tigers their offspring are called cubs smaller wild cats like uh, bobcats and lynx and others their offspring are called both. They're called kittens or cubs. Biologists will call them either name. Uh, I couldn't tell which was preferred or not. It seemed like for well, part of my research was showing that kittens was preferred, but then part of it was showing that cubs was used. But either way, it was fine. But then I thought, but a mountain lion, that's, surely that's one of the big cats. So I kept searching I kept searching for sources, kept looking for things, and I found another one that actually pointed out that among the smaller wild cats was cougars slash mountain lions. It's the same thing. And I thought, oh, okay. So it's okay. So it's actually correct to refer to a mountain lion baby as a kitten. It's also correct to call it a cub, but you know it works. And so I was wrong. I, I was I was all ready to be, well actually, and <laughs> turned it right around on me. Well actually, Jim, either is good. Either works. And I also saw something else about it that uh, big cats aren't referred to as kittens when they're babies because they don't purr. I mean they they sort of kind of purr, but they, what it's called is 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 they chuff. Which uh, uh, it's it's a it's a they blow out air that if they purr it's from from exhaling. Which apparently these other cats, these other smaller ones, they can purr much like the cat that you have in your house, like the cat we have in our house, uh, like a household cat. They can purr. So I guess that's another distinction between the big cats and the other wild cats. All right. So anyway, to those that saw the word kitten and just started being dismissive of it, I saw at least one Facebook person try to counter this and say, according to the article, the cat, the kitten that attacked the guy weighed 35 to 40 pounds. Now, sure, that's not a full-grown mountain lion, but, you know, my house cat weighs less than 10 pounds. But if she wanted to, she could mess me up. I mean, I'm sure I could overpower her and, and kill her if I had to, right? If the cat goes crazy and starts attacking me, I'm sure I could. But the cat will will um, will come over to me and lay down on her side and expose her belly to get a belly rub. 
And I've heard people say, oh, you shouldn't rub cats on their bellies because that's, that's their vulnerable spot and they don't like it. Well, I also read somebody who knows about cats saying, if, you're, if you have a cat that, ex that comes up to you, exposes its belly to you, that's a, that's a sign of trust. The cat trusts you to rub their belly. So my cat will do that to me, to, to, with me quite frequently. She'll lay down and I'll rub her belly. And sometimes it's just a belly rub. That's all she wants. And sometimes she will attack my hand. She will, she'll grab it with her front paws and kind of scratch at it with her front paws and then scratch at it with her back paws and then she'll, she'll bite me, but she doesn't really bite. She just kind of nips and she doesn't really get a scratch in. She just kind of does, you know, she's, and then I, I read about that too is what they're doing is they are practicing their defense. A lot of times, you know, when they're defending themselves, they'll get down on their backs and they'll, and they'll use, they'll scratch and, and do that stuff like that. And so what she's doing is she's just kind of practicing. And, and in doing just that practice, she can really mess up my hand. My hand can get all full of scratches and little, not, not, not bites. Her bites never really cause a problem. It's just sometimes she scratches, which we got to get her nails cut. Anyway, so that's a, that's a cat that weighs less than 10 pounds. Can you imagine a cat that weighs 35 or 40 pounds attacking you? And with with fangs and claws that this cat surely had, can you imagine that? And he goes, well, of course the guy had to fight back and he killed it. And the article that I will post it says the wildlife official said the guy did exactly what he had to do. He did the right thing. He was trying to protect himself. And something sort of good comes out of this. Yeah, a poor little cat gets killed, but they they the the wildlife officials built, you know they did a necropsy of it. That's what you call an autopsy of a dead animal, a necropsy. Um, they said that um, it's likely that the cat was uh, the the kitten was a an orphan that the mother had been killed or disappeared somehow, and they also found two siblings, what they believed to be siblings of the dead the the dead kitten bed mountain lion kitten or cub. Uh, they found those and were able to capture them and bring them to some wildlife refuge where they can be raised to adults and set off back into the wild. So. You lost the one, but the other. But in losing the one, they were able to find the other two, and the other two are going to get a chance to, you know, grow up and and be able to take care of themselves. So, eh, not so great there. But the guy survived. The one kit, the one mountain lion cub kitten died, but the other two get a chance. So that's you know, a little balance there. But still, let's not, you know, let's not get all worked up about the guy killing a kitten when it was a mountain lion kitten. All right. Um, uh, boy, three cool things. <laughs> this is going to take a little more time than I allotted, but here we go. Uh, cool thing number one. Two of the cool things are podcasts. So the first one is a podcast called One Plus One, and it's, it's pretty new, and it's about collaborations. Uh, people, artists, uh, musicians, scientists collaborating with each other. And the, the idea is uh, because of the collaboration, the, the, the team, the duo, went much further, much, much farther, uh, much, uh, achieved much greater heights of either fame and success than they would have if they worked alone. So it's just it's it's a brand new uh, podcast series. It's just started, and they start with musicians. Uh, they have a six-part series. The five, first five parts are out. The next part will come out next Tuesday, and it's about John Lennon and Paul McCartney. And it's absolutely fascinating. Lots of information in there that I didn't know. Lots of clips of songs and little bits of interviews and st uh, studios. Inf sounds and uh, lots of good information in there. I learned about how John Lennon's mother died. Ooh, I didn't know she died the way she did. Oh, that's... Uh. But anyway, it's wonderful. I think it's well done, and if you're a Beatles fan, you're, you, I think you'll enjoy it. So check it out. It's called One Plus One. Uh, it's really well done, well produced, and each episode lasts like 30 minutes. So it won't take long to get through it. Uh, the next podcast I want to recommend to you is one that's called Discography. It's hosted by a young man named Mark with a C. That's how he calls himself. And um, he, what he does on this one, and it's a fairly new podcast as well. There's been three seasons or three series of it. What he does is he looks at a musical artist and he looks at their 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 canon, you know, uh, their, their main uh, musical output, being albums and singles, 
and he examines that. So first he did Frank Zappa. I'm not really interested in Frank Zappa. I never really got into him. I just, you know, I appreciate that the guy was talented and a genius or whatever, but I just never got into his stuff. I just thought he was being weird for weirdness's sake, but maybe not. And next he did Janet Jackson. Again, I, I like some Janet Jackson songs, but I'm not, you know, a big deal. But the third season, which was a much more personal season for this guy because it's one of his all-time favorite bands, The Who. Oh, it's an eight-part series. It, if you're a fan of The Who, you'll enjoy it. If you're a big fan of The Who, you, you'll really enjoy it. Um, you, if you're a casual fan of The Who, just listen to the first seven parts of it. Each part's a little more than an hour, maybe an hour and a half, uh, depending. Uh, the, the eighth part is a real minutia looking into all the uh, different remixes that have been released of their albums and such. But it's an expanded kind of look at the stuff. It's a little different from what normally gets done on this podcast, apparently. So he looks at live albums. He looks at uh, the solo albums put out by the members of The Who and, you know, and talks about singles and 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 all that kind of stuff so it's 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 great now it's it's not perfect because he does make a mistake um nobody's perfect he made one mistake that uh i'll tell you about there's other little things that i might pick out a little bit but for the most part he gets stuff really well and he'd let me know stuff that i didn't know uh but the mistake he made was in the 1970s pete townsend played a solo performance uh, on acoustic guitar uh, for the Secret Policeman's Ball, which was some charity that was put to, put on in the in the UK, and they would feature musical artists and comedians. And I think uh, the one that Pete Townsend did had uh, Monty Python do some bits on that. And so Townsend gets up there and he plays a few songs acoustically. And one of the songs he played was uh, the song uh, "Won't Get Fooled Again," but he's accompanied by another musician. And that musician's name is John Williams. Now, according to Mark C., he says John Williams. He said, yes, that John Williams of Star Wars fame. And I say, no, not that John Williams of Star Wars fame. It's the John Williams of the classical acoustic guitar fame. It's a different guy. It's not the same guy. But mistakes happen. I did uh, send a message through Facebook to the guy saying, you know, it's it's not the same guy, and I sent a link to the guy who it is. It's, it's it's not the same guy. It's not John Williams from Star Wars. It's a different different John Williams. Um, if you and the video, there's a video clip of John uh, of Pete playing the song with John Williams playing along with him. You can barely hear his guitar. You can hear Pete's, and that's because I don't think it was mic'd up properly. But anyway, and that but that's cool. Discography is cool. Check it out, especially if you're a Who fan, and check out the Who stuff. Uh, if you're a Zappa fan, check out that too, I suppose. Or if you're a Janet Jackson fan, why not? Now, the number three cool thing, before I get out of here, um, my dad showed me a, uh, a premium section from the uh, St. Paul Pioneer Press newspaper. He still gets the paper. And it's a section of uh, photographs, and it's called uh, Snapshots from the 20th Century. And it's a, a series of photographs that have appeared in the St. Paul Pioneer Press newspaper over the, over the 20th century. And they have one from June uh, of 1942, and it shows a bunch of second graders running out of school on the last day of school, and they're excited to start summer. School's over, and they're all happy and giddy, and they're running. And Dad shows me that picture, and I said, yeah, that's, you know, you see the, you see the, see the kids in there? And I said, yeah, yeah, Dad. You know, I'm thinking, okay. Tell me what's the significance of this. And he points to a little boy in the middle of the picture. Uh, he's sort of, he's, he's, he's like middle from side to side, middle from back to front of this group of kids. And he's in there and he's wearing overalls and he's framed by the, the door of the school. He points to that little boy and he says, that is your Uncle Ralph, which is my dad's older brother. And I thought, well, that's cool. So now I'm looking. Uh, I can share the picture online. I have to give permission. Uh, I have to say that I got permission from the Pioneer Press because I checked into it. And uh, I'm going to see if I can get copies of it. But that is pretty darn cool. I hope you've had at least three cool things happen for you this past week. Good night, Frau Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. 
Uh, and not a moment too soon. I'm, I've come to the end of another show. There's a couple of things I've been meaning to talk about for like the last three weeks, and I still haven't got to them. But what the hell? Uh, you've been listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doc. Wait a minute, I said at the beginning of the show. Remember, be skeptical and let extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. You've been listening to Dimland Radio, and I'm telling you to sleep with the lights off. can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option, and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for, for tuning us in. What did you think of tonight's installment of Dimland Radio? Wow. Wow. Well, well I'm going, going to hell. hell.